0: Welcome back to another episode of 64 a chess podcast. I am your host David coming at you live from Copenhagen Denmark. Uh, earlier this week we had a sensational story come out of the top board in the Norwegian league where some dude named Magnus Carlsen was held to a draw by international master Gaya Suna Ustmo. I'm very excited to be joined by Gaia today. Uh, how's it going? Ryan, thank you for, uh, for inviting me to,
1: uh, to your podcast.
0: It's my pleasure. It was, uh, you know, the, so um, just before uh, I, you know, thank my sponsors and everything. I just want to really ask you, uh, how has it been, like, you know, having, you know, just one of your games in the Norwegian league? You're being covered by like, Akamator, Gotham Chess, most of the chess outlets. Um, how how, did, how has that kind of like frenzy been in terms of just the media attention?
1: Yeah, it's been uh, very uh, unusual for me, like my uh, t- Twitter notifications have just uh, taken off in a way that's com- completely uh, in- insane for me and uh, yeah, didn't see this coming at all, like a week ago I didn't know I was going to play Magnus, uh, I didn't expect him to ever play him again in the classical and uh, but yeah, certainly we're here and I have uh, not only played him but, but also all of the world seems to have uh, seen that I played him and and uh, got a draw against them.
0: Now I, I want to really do a deep dive into this game and you know all the every all the emotions and stuff. But first of all, of course, I do want to thank my sponsors, uh, Aim Chess, uh, for sponsoring uh, the podcast. As always, you can use code David thirty with Aim Chess to get thirty percent off your subscription with Aim So go check that out. If you want to support the podcast, uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash 64podcast. Uh, If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It helps a lot with the algorithm. Um, Yeah, I want to just uh, start by talking a little bit about about your uh, history with Magnus. Uh, You have beaten him uh, over the board when you were younger. Um, Two of Magnus's, in my opinion, two of his greatest games uh, that I've I've looked at, because I've looked at a lot of Magnus games in my time. Um, Both played in 2005, I think. Uh, were played against you, uh, two of his most brilliant wins as a young chess player, and uh, here it is, 17 years later, you guys face on board one in the Norwegian league. So, um, you know, I actually I play uh, now for a league team in Denmark. Um, so, uh, for my American listeners, I guess uh, could you just explain like what this kind of like league format is, um, you know, in in Norway?
1: Yeah, so it's um, uh, I play in the Elite Serien, which means the, it's a top division of the norwegian league so it's uh, 10 teams uh, play playing a league we're play, playing over over three three different weekends three games each weekend so nine games in total so that every team gets to face each other once and we yeah play to the winner is the winner of the norwegian team championships uh two bottom teams get relegated and two uh, so two
0: teams from lower divisions will be in uh, in the next season. And um Magnus, he recently created this uh this club Offerspiel. Um I know there's a lot of politics and reasoning behind it, but you know, it's like the marquee uh Norwegian club. And so you match up with them uh in the Norwegian League. Um, i guess first thing i want to ask is like what's you and your teammates thoughts going into the match and then you mentioned that uh, you didn't know that you were going to play magnus until a week before so i guess like just talk me through like what was what was the lead up to this match because you must have seen this pairing coming so what are you guys thinking what are you guys saying to each other
1: yeah it's uh like we did know it was a small possibility that magnus would play because he has quite sensationally played for a Offers bill even before they got promoted to the to the top league, uh, but but of course you never expect a world champion to to show up in a in a tournament like this because uh, it's the, far from the uh, he uh, the level of opponents which he usually gets. Um, so, but but when we uh, but when we saw before the weekend who they had uh, the. Uh, what players they were going to play then we see that they have a uh, pretty much topped their their team against us in magnus on the first board and also most of the other uh grandmasters on the on the other boards so uh and um yeah i mean my, my team is nowhere near that level so we weren't going into that match with expectations of really getting any points but we you know we we are chess chess lovers so it's and uh, it's uh it's just fun to to play against strong opposition and particularly the world champion i mean it's a privilege to be able to play against him so uh so we were going into the match with uh, with excitement for for the games but also with that, without any real expectations for any for any points like anything anything
0: other than a 6-0 loss would be a, a win for us there Now, when you when you match with Magnus, I mean, like I said, you guys obviously have experience uh, playing against each other in uh, your youth. Uh, I know you played in the Norwegian Championship uh, against him a couple of times Uh, and here you guys face again. First of all, I'm wondering uh, how many times have you guys faced off uh, since, you know, you guys were in your teens, Um, unless maybe this was the first time you guys matched since like about 2005, 2006.
1: Yeah, last time we played was in 2006, so we have played each other seven times in total in classical chess, but that's all between 2000 and 2006, so since then Magnus has been on a completely different level than me, so I wasn't ever expecting to play him again, other than maybe just some blitz for fun at some point, but uh, but yeah, suddenly we faced again in in classical chess
0: many years uh, after the uh the last time what 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 were you feeling about uh you know seeing uh you know your name and magnus carlson you know on you know home territory for both of you guys uh like what's kind of did you do any prep like how do you even prepare for for that did you just say you know i'm just coming in and just want to have a fun game or
1: yeah i mean uh opening preparation is pretty much useless when you (laughs) play magnus especially since i mean i I wasn't expecting him to really go into a long theoretical line. Firstly, because he probably doesn't want to reveal any of his opening secrets in a game like that, and secondly because I mean when you're playing a much lower rated opponent, then you don't really want your opponent to be able to face like the moves you already know, you want to just just get a, a new game as early as possible. So yeah, I, I wasn't looking at uh, at any specific games he had played, but just, you know, looked over some of the main points of my repertoire, but first and foremost, just made sure that I was getting enough sleep and uh,
0: feeling relaxed enough before before the game. Um, You know, there's this book on uh, on Amazon, like how to defeat Magnus Carlsen or something like it's like, you know, like like games where, you know, people have like managed to out Magnus Magnus. So I don't know, maybe you could have bought one of those before your game um didn't didn't think of that yeah (laughs) you know that's something that people should consider um maybe next time they face him but you're actually you're only on my podcast I think you're as far as I know you're only the second person or third person on my podcast to actually uh, play Magnus over the board so I think that's pretty cool um what's he like to to face over the board because I know people have described like Kasparov as physically intimidating and like you know breathing over the board and kind of uh looking at you with like uh intensity but what's it actually like to face magnus over the board especially after all this time yeah,
1: yeah. And, uh, i don't think magnus is like kasparov at all in uh, uh like that and i i mean just looking at kasparov i can imagine it is uh it is intimidating to to face him because he's yeah like you just described you really look at how how in- intimidating he he looks magnus just um yeah he he barely looks at uh, at me at all he looks more at the position and you can see that he's concentrating but it's i mean if i didn't know who that was then i wouldn't feel intimidated by by him as uh like by how, how he was um uh, at the board uh, except for of course he of course he plays a lot of strong moves which is uh uh so but uh,
0: but other than that he, he just looks like um, yeah, a regular chess player. And uh yeah, and then I guess talking about the game, it looked like at one point, you know, the opening was like you said, was uh, you know, something a little offbeat. And then uh suddenly it looked like Magnus has this dream position. I think he sacrifices a knight and you know, what are you what are you thinking, you know, fifteen twenty moves in? Like what well, what well how I guess like, you know, kind of just talk me through your thought processes throughout the game. You don't have to be too specific about the moves or whatever, but obviously, you know, facing the world champion um do you feel hopelessness at any point when your position looks a little bad or are you just saying find good moves find good moves find good moves like like what's kind of the, what are you doing to just motivate yourself through the game
1: yeah i, t- I try to think a li- as little as possible about who my opponent is just look for the, the strongest moves and not not think about uh, uh who is sitting uh, across the board so um yeah, after twenty moves, I mean, he, it looks like a typical Magnus game. It's a queenless middle game, and he has uh, he has a significant advantage. Um, but I mean, it's the position doesn't look hopeless, so I just continue to try to to find the best moves. Uh, like you said, he he sacrificed the knight, which was an idea I, did, I didn't see at all. Uh, when I look at it afterwards, I. Could actually have accepted the sacrifice and been completely fine, uh, but I I miscalculated there. I think he must have miscalculated it too. Uh, so so after after that move landed on the board, and I thought calculated for for some minutes, I realized that my position was was very bad. So f- from that point, I just tried to find ways to uh, to keep the game going. Uh, he surprised me on the next next move because I thought he had a a better move, which I didn't really have a strong answer to. And when I look at it afterwards, the computer agrees with me. It would have been simply winning. Uh, when it didn't do that, then I have a, I, I still have a, a cramped position. So uh, I mean, I don't don't have any expectations at that point of uh, of holding the, the game. Uh, but I just continue to try to, to keep the game going. Uh, and then there was this point which uh, none of us saw. After uh, I think it was the 29th move, where he has a, a direct win, which is right with the bishop move. Yeah, which is a move that yeah uh, he he should definitely have seen it. And to be honest, I should have seen it too. Um, but that that moment didn't really affect the, the rest of the game because none of us saw it. Um, uh, but but when he didn't find that move, then it was still clear he had the advantage, but no no clear win. Uh, so um, uh, but it was also obvious that he was the one playing for a win. So I mean for, for the rest rest of the game, which lasts like fifty moves fifty five moves more, I'm just trying to uh, keep keep finding ways of, um, of keeping the the position together and keeping the game continuing the game and um, yeah. Uh, and then, actually, I didn't. I didn't really feel very nervous during the game because, you know, I was playing without any expectations or, other than just trying to to play a good game. Uh, the nervousness just uh, uh, didn't come before, um, like pretty close to the end when uh, when we exchanged bishops and we had, were in a in a rook end game, because it was really at that point that I realized that this is actually heading towards the draw uh so and and that's when the uh you know the thoughts come in if i if i screw up this now then then this is going to haunt me for the rest of my life that I, I i should actually have drawn against the world champion i mean that's uh, because having a position that you should keep is quite different from just having an equal position because you know Magnus can still uh, outplay you from such a position so but uh but yeah, it's, I felt that I managed to to keep my cool throughout the end game, and uh, yeah, looking at the computer afterwards as well, it, it looks like it's correct. Like after the tactics that we both missed, it's, there are no uh, no clear
0: error, errors from either of us. It seems. Yeah, you played you played a phenomenal game once once uh, once that tactic was gone. Now you mentioned that you both missed it. Um after bear kings and i assume a handshake uh what, what what was magnus like after the game did you guys discuss discuss the game together did you guys you know i know like in my league we have like a little open bar in my little club uh where you just can get beer with your with your opponents sit and analyze drink some tubor or whatever so um you know what what was that like after after bear kings
1: yeah uh, there, was, there was no um, no place really to to go go to discuss uh, the game there but we were like when we were finished we were there was only one other game left uh, in the room. so uh, we were just whispering over the board and discussing some of the some of the lies that could have a, that could uh, arise. and uh, yeah, it didn't seem like he was immediately think and like of course we both knew he had a had a good position but uh, but he he didn't he didn't know he had such a clear win. Uh, but uh, Ariantari, who was playing second board for office bill. He had uh, he had seen it, so he he came and uh, and suggested it to us. And then you could see the frustration on uh, on Magnus' face when he realized that. And uh, yeah, and I mean, I was pretty shocked myself too that we could actually have uh, have missed such a move.
0: Yeah, I mean, even even when I saw this uh, position on Twitter, um, I, it looked quite obvious to me. I mean, I'm not not to dunk on Magnus or anything. But I guess it must have just been you know psychologically in the tank and and uh focusing on on different things uh yeah because it did look quite direct
1: yeah uh, it is i mean it's a i'm sure we would both have seen it instantly if you had uh, told us there was a, a win in the position because but neither is, is expected to be a, a win so it must yeah i can. All, I, there are only two, two explanations I can think of. The one is that we have the mindset that this is going to be a long end game. We don't expect that there will be anything direct. So we are looking more at the long term plans. Uh, and also, it's I mean, it's it's a bit funny because my king move uh, b- before that is precisely to prevent that we should move. Uh, the problem is just it, that it doesn't prevent it after all. But that but the idea was to prevent it. And we probably b- both just thought that yeah, this move does does prevent the uh, the bishop move, so we don't we don't really look at it.
0: Now, what was the what was the reaction from from your teammates, and I guess from from you know just you know the rest of the I guess both teams, you know, after Magnus has held to draw, like 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 uh like what's the immediate reaction after like what are you thinking? Um, you know, walk me through that.
1: Yeah, it's um uh. I mean, I I was of course very very happy and relieved that I, uh, yeah. And the end, uh, first emotion is relief that I I didn't screw up when it uh, when the position was uh, uh, was drawn. And uh, and of course of course I was happy to have uh, achieved that result. And my teammates were congr- congratulating me, of course. And uh, and uh, yeah, and we we went out to uh, to eat and. Uh, Eat and drink, and uh, to uh, celebrate the result. Uh, even though we had lost five one, it was uh, <laughs> uh, we we have we had reason to celebrate. Not just me, but also one of my teammates who who held uh, a very difficult uh, end game against a much stronger opponent. Uh, so um, yeah, and uh, yeah, what to say? I was uh, I was. Um, I was, of course, uh, excited about the result, and um, uh, but still not. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think I've still really realized what I had. I've uh, actually drawn against the, the world champion, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm also a bit affected by the fact that I have. I have known him since he was a kid, and and uh, you know I have drawn him and beaten him before, as you have. As we have said, so I don't know. Maybe I would have felt even more intimidated if it if it was Caruana or uh, Alves or one of the the other world elite players uh, playing against
0: me. So I actually wanted to ask you a little bit now, um, a bit more about Norwegian chess in general. Yeah, I bought this this book. Um, I actually have it right here. It's currently serving as a microphone stand. It's uh, 60 memorable games of Magnus Carlsen by Andrew Soltis. And uh, the, it really, it's presented in uh, chronological order uh, of his greatest games from when he was like a kid and showing, you know, kind of what his weaknesses were in his early years. Um, to obviously becoming such a universal, amazing, inspiring uh, chess player. Uh, I, I was kind of wondering if you could just tell me from a firsthand experience, like what was that uh, like when Magnus came onto the scene as a, as a young chess player? I mean... Did people expect that he was going to be a very good player? Did people really think oh he's he's like the chosen one? Um obviously the political situation in chess in the early 2000s was also very different. So, I guess I'm just kind of I mean, of course you were also very young too, but I'm I'm wondering, I guess both from a personal standpoint and retrospectively like what was the consensus on Magnus back then?
1: Yeah, we we saw from a very early stage that he was he had the potential to be to become a, a great player. Um and, uh, already in 2000, there we were several who were talking about, you know, here is our future world champion. And, uh, I mean, we, we, I, I can't, I can't really say I, uh, I, I, I meant it as literal as uh, it turned out to be, but, uh, but it was still clear that he was, yeah, at least, uh, at least the second best talent Norway had ever had like before uh b- before uh, that Simon auger was had been the clearly the strongest uh, Norwegian player the only one to be anywhere near the the world elite uh so so in the beginning we naturally compared him to uh those two uh to each other um but uh and then every year he w- he was just you know he had uh, just uh got better and better and better and uh with with most uh, young chess players you see big steps uh, forward but then usually also at some point you you face opposition uh, when you don't manage to improve but seemingly that that never happened to to magnus he just kept improving until he was suddenly one of the top 10 in the world uh, himself so it became a, more and more of a consensus that actually we're we're not not just jokingly talking about a talented kid as a future world champion, but it's actually a, a, a real possibility. Uh, and uh, yeah, fast forward to, to 2013. He is, he is there and actually playing a, a world championship match. And I think that's the that's the year when when Norway were really understanding like, how, how big of a, a talent Magnus was and how big those results uh, were. Um, I mean t- uh, there were um a t- a two TV channels uh sending those world championship games live throughout uh, uh, all that time. and uh, I remember I was I was thinking, okay, this is this is too much. Like they don't understand how boring chess will actually be for the public. <laughs> uh, and I, I had say, said myself some years before that that chess can never be a, a TV sport. At least not ch- classical chess, uh, but I was completely wrong. Uh, the, the TV programs were uh, it became super popular, and suddenly the the public in Norway were also bitten by the uh, by the chess fever. Um, uh, yeah, and since then, I mean, you, you can see the the difference in the public in Norway. Like you can talk actually talk chess to to people who don't play chess uh regularly uh and you can also see see it with the with the other uh norwegian chess talents uh coming now uh cuz there was uh Mang- Magnus Carlsen and there was ludwig Hammer who, who is the same age as Magnus those were like the two two big talents at the time but then uh then there are, have had the other strong players coming up you have Tare Hans Basten Kristiansen. so now it's it's Norway has suddenly become a, a strong chess nation. It's not just Magnus, it's also uh, lots of other players. And that was unthinkable 20 years ago. Norway was a, a small chess nation, and like Simeon Agdesign was the, was the exception from the rule. Um, and now he, now, uh, I mean, Simeon is still a, still a strong, very strong chess player, but now he's not even, uh, uh, he may not not even be on the Olympic team, even if he wants to, uh, to come back to that. So,
0: uh, yeah, Yeah, it is really remarkable. And especially, you know, Magnus, even I came to Copenhagen um, for the first time in uh, 2019 and even I've noticed. and this is just in Denmark. I know that, you know, Denmark and Norway are obviously very different countries, but I have even noticed here, you know, speaking to Norwegians that I meet here who move or are working in Denmark. that there's been a lot more attention in the last few years. And Magnus has really gone from like <clears throat> chess celebrity uh, to, he's really like an international name. But I think the pandemic, you Absolutely. know, with this big interest in chess, suddenly everybody wants to know, well, who's the, who's the real Beth Harmon? And it's this Norwegian guy. And, you know, suddenly, you know, even pe- my friends knowing me as a chess player, everybody will ask me what I think about Magnus, even though they don't have an opinion about them. And what is there to say? I mean, he is, you know, by acclamation is, you know, the most, powerful chess player ever. Um I think it's it's pretty cool that you kinda got to uh, witness that in uh in in person. Um I guess I'm also wondering what do you think uh because something I've noticed, you know, playing in, in a European club for chess. This is something I've never really been able to talk about with anybody in the podcast because it didn't feel appropriate, but it does now. Um, I feel like the club culture, I, I have a sample size of one, you know, being in Denmark, but I imagine from what I've heard it's similar elsewhere um, it feels a lot healthier here in many ways that, you know, there really seems to be like, you get to know the familiar faces. There's a lot of these team events, a lot of club events, a lot of, a lot of league events that everybody can get into. And, and, uh, obviously Denmark is a small country. Um, but I guess I'm wondering, like, like, do you think that that kind of culture has existed in Norway for, for a long time? And I guess, uh, also like, um, more generally, like how do you think, uh, like Norway, like, in early 2000s was able to help magnus get to that next level
1: yeah the club culture you're talking about has existed as long as i have uh, been playing chess and uh, i wasn't aware if this was a european thing but uh, i have uh, almost never been outside of europe so that maybe that's me who haven't seen like uh, other uh, other stuff so uh, so definitely and uh, i mean even though norway is a pretty long country with the uh, more yeah definitely high, longer distances than than Denmark it's uh, we we do uh, we're still a small country in terms of of population and therefore also in terms of the number of chess players so we yeah we go to uh when we, uh, if you if you are an active chess player in Norway then chances are you have met uh, many of the many of the the active players at uh, at some point uh, during tournaments so that um and um yeah, depending on on where you live, I mean unfortunately some places it's probably hard to find a, a club nearby, but if you live in in one of the b- bigger cities, well by Norwegian standards, <laughs> bigger cities um uh, <laughs> then uh, chances are there is a club there and there is a friendly environment when you can meet and, uh, and play chess and go uh, and also get to uh, play play in the, those uh, team tournaments. So in terms of that, that's definitely something that uh, that Magnus has um, has grown up in, and uh, and uh, he yeah he knows more, most of us chess players per, uh, in in person because we have met it, uh, at some points. Um, but also it's uh, but what Norway has not been prepared for at all is like how to. How to train someone who is actually an exceptional talent like like Magnus was? I mean, if he had lived in Russia, you know, he would immediately have gone into the Russian chess schools and got top-notch trainers uh, there. Uh, we don't really have that that kind of system in in Norway. Uh, that has also uh, cha- changed when chess has become more more popular. Uh, we have uh, it's probably easier to get a to get a trainer here now but but magnus in is has much more learned by himself compared to probably right. most of the russian uh players and like for me it was yeah I, I didn't really think of the idea of like getting a a, a trainer i'm pretty much uh self-learned except for of course I've played a lot of uh, of games but in terms of uh, training it's uh, I've been yeah e- in a large sense
0: uh, on my own reading books and uh, yeah and you know you're really? no slump at chess either you know you reach I think your rating right now is something like you know 2467 so that's you know if you uh, if you draw magnus a couple more times you're going to hit that 2500 and get your gm title so you know maybe organize a match at this rate you and him Seven game match. <laughs> yeah, uh, I,
1: I I suspect it's there are easier to weigh, ways to reach twenty five hundred than yeah. to <laughs>
0: than to draw him seven times. But, yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, it is interesting. You you know, I wonder actually if maybe in hindsight, the fact that he didn't have the same kind of Russian structure may have actually even helped him. Because it, it may, yeah. You we'll never out, know, but... Uh... You know, right, but it's, you know, his, his to me, I mean, obviously, I'm not such a strong chess player, but I, I've said on the podcast a couple of times that Magnus, sometimes he just kind of seems like an alien in terms of what the kind of moves he finds. It's just like, you know, maybe the fact that he didn't have such a rigid training structure and it was just some kid with wild creativity and extremely strong memory and a real love for the game, um, you know, may, maybe the fact that it was a much looser uh and the fact that maybe the country didn't have as much expectations for him is just like run wild kid like you know you have the talent maybe that just helped him a lot in the in the long run
1: yeah it's uh definitely possible and uh i can definitely re- relate to what you what you say there and uh yeah we will never know what how strong he would have been in uh if he had that r- russian uh, uh chess background but uh but it's it's certainly a different kind of background that, than what we are used to see in the in the world elite players.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the Russians would love to have uh, Magnus be named uh, Mikhail Karlsanov and uh, you know that you know from Saint Petersburg, and yeah, but uh, but nope, he's in, and he just he smashed a Russian in the World Championship now too. So I guess we'll have to wait a while for the Russians to get that championship back. Um, I also want to ask you, like, what is uh, what is the Norwegian chess scene like today? You know, even Sans Magnus, uh, Ariantari, I know obviously there's some very strong grandmasters playing under the Norwegian banner right now. But, uh, you know, has there been a, a big increase in, in, let's say, youth engagement with chess? Are there are a lot of kids who are looking up and, you know, wanting to be the next Magnus Carlsen in the same way that, you know, for example, Vishy Anand in India, you know, created this real like chess spark. Uh, you know, India, of course, is now going to be by far the strongest chess country in a matter, matter of years. Um, I don't know, are we seeing something similar with Norway? I understand it's a much smaller country uh, by comparison to an in India or an in America, but, but nevertheless.
1: Yeah, I do. I do think that we, uh, that there are, uh, that Magnus has some of the honor that there are now more young, young talents coming up, uh, than there, there used to be. There's definitely an effect there. Um, we are, and uh uh, and we can also see it from the like the number of chess players uh, that there are now compared to, to 20 years ago. Uh, even though I I know that there are some who thinks that we have haven't really managed to to get the full potential of the, the Magnus effect, that that our membership should be be even greater. Uh, and of course, uh, a difference from before is uh, the possibilities that we have on uh, to play on the uh, on the internet uh and the online chess um like and the uh, and the quest- question there is how do we how do we get those who who now play chess uh, online how do we how do we uh, manage to get them to come to the the chess clubs and uh, and become a part of the of the chess environment there um yeah which i I'm I'm not sitting here with a big solution uh, to that, but I know that is being
0: uh, being discussed. Yeah, it it is. Uh, I mean, it's a challenge everywhere, right? And I think in general, um, there was obviously this big blow up in interest, especially in the last two years, you know, with the onset of the pandemic. Uh, by the way, I want to just say thanks to everybody who's been DMing me. I, I tweeted that, like, as of recording this, I'm, uh, I'm myself, I'm fighting coronavirus. So thanks, everybody, for the well wishes. I haven't been able to to get to all the messages but i just you know i wanted to just say thank you um to those who reached out and uh yeah it's all good but uh going back to the (laughs) back to the podcast um yeah i mean it does feel like this year like half of 2021 that the interest has kind of tapered off so i guess like it is a challenge right like like to to uh to create sustained long-term interest i think at least norway having a guy like magnus means that as long as he's at the top of his game and as long as you know you know his companies are doing well uh, that there's always going to be some potential for people to kind of latch on to him and have him as inspiration absolutely
1: so, uh, so that's of course also a question like w- what happens when magnus one day is not uh, in the world elite anymore i hope that's still uh, many years uh, ahead but uh at, at, at some point, uh, he will either retire from chess or, or become too,
0: yeah. Uh, it's hard or, to or... imagine, like, it's really hard to imagine him becoming some, like, you know, 2,600, uh, player who's like fighting to enter, like, you know, maybe as a wild card in the Olympiad or in the world cup, like, you know, 20 years down the line, it's hard for me to imagine. I, it seems to me like he will go down the Kasparov way of, you know. I'm number one or number two in the world, and it's just time for me to hang it up and play blitz occasionally. I mean he's talked about retiring from world championship events already well like what's your take on that yeah that uh
1: that that's that was a big surprise to me when he said that, and i still don't know if if we're going to believe that literally or if that's just something he he said but um, yeah uh I do hope he he will play no matter who his opponent is. It will be a pretty strange situation if he chooses to not uh,
0: to not play a match. Yeah, it's um, I mean he said he'd face Veruga, but I mean come on, if let's say you know Nakamura might make the candidates considering how he's playing. I just was watching uh, Nakamura versus Grishuk. I don't know what the result is, but you know that's the last thing I was doing. And, you no, know, I mean, are we really gonna pass up a Carlson Nakamura World Championship match? I mean, given the online rivalry and all the, you know, Carlson destroying him like like uh, a lifetime record. I mean, are we really gonna pass up on that or sing Fabiano back? I mean, there there's so many good matchups. It would be a shame uh, for Chess if he just kind of said, "Well, <laughs> none of my opponents are strong enough to face me." So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I yeah. uh, I really don't know what to make of it either. Now, um. I guess uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about on this podcast, uh, obviously you've had a lot of uh, press attention and I think, you know, you've been reached out maybe for some interviews, uh, but um, something that I only learned about you now is that you actually have a pretty uh, interesting career as a chess composer um, and you've made some very, very nice puzzles. People all over chess Twitter have been sharing your puzzles, you know, in the you know last few days. Um, First of all, what's that been like, just to see some of these creations that you made, like some of your compositions, just, you know, people people solving them and scratching their heads. I, I can tell you, I told you before we started recording, but there's this one, uh, like this Rook uh, composition, there's this like Rook and Pawn endgame composition that uh, someone shared on Twitter, maybe it's was Tarjay Svensson, I don't remember, but I, I sat at my computer for like half an hour trying to figure it out, finally thought I had it, uh, put it in the engine, nope, uh, I was completely wrong, uh, so it was very, very difficult, so, so congrats on stopping me um <laughs> but, but but more seriously like like i guess uh you know what, what kind of what's that been like uh now that people are actually enjoying these uh creations that you made on a wider level yeah that has been a, a delightful side effect of
1: uh <laughs> of suddenly becoming uh, <laughs> uh becoming famous by drawing uh, magnus um uh, so i mean ch- chess composition is something i have done for for many years now but it's uh yeah, it's it's a small world even by uh, even compared to the chess, uh, chess world, and it's not. Uh, uh, yeah, you usually you have to know where to where to look for these uh, uh, these st- uh, studies to to see what what new has been uh, been published. So it's it's been great that pe- people are have actually been sharing uh, sharing my, my studies. Uh, I think, yeah. I don't know if I have seen like all the all the posts myself, but I know Emil Sutovsky. Uh yeah he or, sh- is, is what he shared that Rukan game, which I think is the one that you're thinking about. Yeah, it and was I mean, Emil, I had, yes.
0: Yeah, it was yeah. Emil, which is pretty cool, right? The and, director of Fide uh
1: Yeah, and I, I had no idea he uh, he knew that I was composing at all. So it's uh it's uh, yeah, it was a good, good surprise
0: to see to see that being shared by him. You've mentioned that it's a small world. How do you how do you get into chess composing, uh, and when did you start, and why did you start?
1: Yeah, I am. Um, uh, like I should probably start by saying uh, that I have uh, yeah, I mentioned I had uh, read a lot of books, and that's that's also how I became involved in chess in the first place. Uh, except well, my father taught me the rules when I was uh, when I was little. But uh, but it was really when I saw discovered a chess book at the library. That's when I started to get like really into chess and and found that this is uh, what a fascinating world the chess chess world is. Uh, so I continue. I started in a chess club and I continued to like rent rent all the chess books that were were at the local library. And uh, it's also in one of those books that I am. Um, uh, I, I saw some studies by my uh, my compatriot uh, Jan Ulriksen uh who, who uh, uh yeah i think uh the two of us are the only two Norwegians who have uh, composed a lot of a uh, uh, lot of studies uh, and i became fascinated fascinated by by his studies and i uh, realized like there's not just the the world of playing chess but there's also the world of actually composing uh, uh, chess problems. Uh, so yeah, I I composed my first pro- um, uh, problem when I was 13. Uh, that's two years after I started in a, in a chess club. So I guess for most of my chess, chess career, I've also been interested in, in chess problems. Uh, but it's really, uh, but it was mostly in, um, uh, in yeah, by the end of uh, 2011, that's when like my chess composition career, if you can call it that, uh, that's when it it took off. Uh, actually, started when by me being uh, uh, being ill, and uh, I had to stay in bed for uh, for a couple of weeks, and I had to have something to do uh, while I was in bed, and uh, and that's when I felt that okay, I can actually I'd start uh, compose something and i was and i realized okay i I actually managed to compose at a higher level than i than i could before so um so I, I uh so although i composed my per- first problem when was when i was 13 i should prob the the compositions that i published when i was 27 is probably when you can say that th- those were my first like s- serious
0: uh test studies I actually I have done some research, and uh, there are actually like a, it's like a world championship of of chess compositions. So have you ever entered yeah. one of those? Yes, uh, that uh, that composition is held
1: like every every th- three years, and you uh, you send like six uh, uh, the six studies that you are most happy with from those three years. You you send to the championship. So uh, the the previous one was. The championship for 2016 to 18, uh, and I got tenth place uh, there. Uh, so now the next one is from uh, is the championship from t- 2019 to 21. So uh, uh, so we have uh, the deadline for that was in, in January. So uh, so I have sent sent my studies uh, for that championship, and then later this year we we will see uh,
0: the the judges will decide who has who has the the best studies. Is uh is tenth place the highest you've ever finished, or has have you finished higher in the past? I have
1: uh that that's the highest. So I, I, how I, many people? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's forty five, if I remember correctly, who have sent uh, the studies uh,
0: this time, and I think it was about the same last time. Wow. Um. Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh really interesting. Um. How, how would you would you give any advice to somebody who just wanted to start making studies of their own? Like, like was there any any golden advice to getting to getting good at it? Because it is really a different world uh, than playing chess. Yeah, it it is. And um, well,
1: I guess there are different stories to how people get involved with uh, uh, with composing. Uh, for me, I often draw uh, get inspiration from from real games, um, and uh, that's where. Many of my studies, like start out from an idea that I maybe saw either executed on the board in a real game, or or which I, uh, I saw could have happened in a real game. Uh, the rook game, game that we're, we're talking about, uh, that's also that's for, from a line that could have happened in a in a game I played many years ago, um, which didn't happen on the board. Well, partly because I had something better, but also partly because i was nowhere near seeing that idea over the board um so so at least for me that's uh that's an easy place to to start to to see like some when i've seen something beautiful happen in a in a real game can you turn that into something even more beautiful in when you're allowed to place the pieces how you want
0: yeah actually that's uh that's a that's a very good point uh, because you know when now nah, I play classical chess for the first time. Uh, I played some like rapid over the board like in the past. But um, yeah, when you really like spend a couple of hours analyzing the games, um, no matter how good or bad the game is, you can always find these really beautiful... Uh, I, I found what we, my opponent and I, we analyzed and we found some forced draw that I missed with a knight sack. But then you look even deeper. And there's also like I, sometimes, you know, I, looking in, in the first classical game I ever played, we, my coach and I were looking and we found this like unbelievable like drawn engine line where black. Uh, gives up like two pieces and a queen and forces a draw. And it's like, you need to uh, <laughs> have a metal detector in the club if somebody plays, that is all I'll say. But it is really beautiful. I mean, obviously it's a podcast I can't really explain, but but it is uh, it is a really beautiful thing. Like the, you know, I guess the beauty of chess is one of the quotes is like, it's not just like the moves that were played, but the moves that could have been played. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Right? Absolutely. And that's, that's something that's, like easier to see in a uh, in a puzzle where you can where you can actually set the set the pieces up the way you want and you you're not not dependent on your your opponent actually cooperating to to, to show those beautiful
0: lines. Now, um, yeah, and regarding uh, like chess composition, many of the people in the chess composition world, you mentioned that it's it's very small, but um... Is it like same kind of like GMs, IMs, or are they just kind of completely different different faces of people who are like you know participating in this kind of thing? Uh,
1: yeah, you you mean do you mean if if there are uh, uh, if there are GMs or and IMs in the real like right like I'm real, saying like you know yeah.
0: like uh, do you think that there's like some correlation with having to already be a strong chess player or are there people who are just really good at it after years or just you know maybe like casual club players and stuff like that?
1: Yeah, the, the majority of chess composers are not really that strong uh, chess players. So so it's de- definitely not a condi- It's not it's not like you have to be a strong chess player to be a to be a ch- strong composer. Uh, but there are some. Uh, but, but there are some examples like Jan Timman, maybe the clearest one. He has a lot of uh, uh, of great studies, and he's one of the most active composers uh, today. Really. Um, yeah, wow. uh, T- Timan has a, a uh, he, he has, um, and I suspect it's like now he's playing less now than he used to. So he, maybe he has more time now to to focus on, uh, on composition and uh, he's also participating in the world championship for the, for the first time. So uh, um, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, there are also, uh, if we go back a bit further back in time, there was uh, Vasilis Mislov uh, is the, the world champion who also uh, uh, who also composed a, a lot of studies. Um there's uh, John Nunn has composed some studies. Uh, so there are definite, definitely some examples of uh, like over-the-board brand masters uh, who have composed studies. But, um, uh, but those of us who have, uh, who are e- ims or G- gms in the in over, over the board chess uh, we are the exception uh, because most most uh, composers well you i guess you have you have to have some chess strength just to be able to uh, to compose but but clearly you don't have to be a be a title holder uh there are also t- titles in chess composition, so that's why I had to
0: ask, like, what the, uh, uh-huh. the yeah, it's like grandmaster so, uh, in composition. Yeah. Do you have one so, of those? Uh, I'm a FIDE master of composition. Ah uh-huh. well, How do you get your your so, norms or whatever in that? Yeah. Uh, the, there is a FIDE
1: album, uh, which is also every three three years, where you can send your your best uh, studies and uh, and if the judges. Uh, the judges then decide uh, whether they are good good enough to to be part of the album and for each uh, each study that you get in the album you get closer to those titles so you uh so it's it's a bit different from from all the chess because you know a gm to achieve a gm norm you have to do something better than an IM norm but but in composition to get a gm you just have you have to have a higher quantity of high quality studies than for, for the other titles
0: how many how many studies do you know how many that is for gm um i have to think here uh and that's also different from
1: like stu- studies which is like why to play and win or why to play and draw are also valued differently from other ah. types of problems like you your direct mates, you have self mates, help mates. You have these different different categories, which uh, which also score differently. So, uh, so I don't remember exactly, uh, but I have eight studies, uh, which is how I got my my FM title. And if I remember correctly, I need fifteen to get an IM title. Wow! And, interesting. Uh, yeah.
0: And I don't remember for the GM title, but it's uh, it's a higher number than that. Is, is that a goal of yours right now in terms of in terms of chess to get the IM or GM title in in uh, composition? Uh, it's um, yeah, it's
1: it's not something like uh, that's not the, the driving force behind my my composition. I compose because I I find it fun and I right. I, I like creating something so, something beautiful, but. But uh, yeah, both in composition and in and in over the board chess, it's it would be it would be nice if I ever get uh, the GM title, but uh, but I will be completely fine with it if I if I don't.
0: Regarding um over the board chess, I did mention also that your um your live rating right now is something like twenty four sixty seven, I think. Um, that's pretty close to twenty five hundred too. How, well, what's your peak rating, and also how many GM norms do you have, if any?
1: Yeah, uh, I have one GM norm. Uh, and my peak rating, I think it's twenty four seventy. I also think I'm a bit above that now after the the weekend, uh, but uh, I haven't checked exactly. Uh, so but I'm I'm I am somewhere around twenty four seventy, which is also like I've never been significantly higher
0: than that. Interesting. You're pretty close. Who knows? Maybe we'll see uh GM Guyar soon, perhaps.
1: Maybe. Maybe uh, I do feel that when I play at my best, I am at GM strength. So I just have to have to manage
0: to more consistently play uh, play at that's, that strength. Now my last question, uh, you know, obviously you play in the Norwegian league. So do you still consider yourself an active tournament player? And also, like, um, what are what are your your current chess goals? You know, whether it's composition or or otherwise, like, just uh, what's kind of your mindset right now? Oh, I do have one one last question, last last question. But let's start with this. <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh yes i do consider myself an an active player i am uh I, I was more active uh like 10 or 15 years ago that's partly because of uh yeah i have other stuff going on in my in my life as well so i don't have as much time as i was when i was a junior but uh yeah i can def- definitely see myself playing playing chess t- tournaments for for the rest of my of my life and uh i was i was also planning on uh increasing my activity a little bit a couple of years ago but then the pandemic suddenly meant it was impossible to to play at all so uh, we'll see maybe uh, hopefully it will be easier to, to play again uh, uh, in the future i'm going to play a, a tournament uh, a tournament in Kragere now at the end of this month and then uh, we'll yeah we'll see uh and um, yeah in terms of chess goals like obviously the gm title is a natural goal uh, for me but first and foremost i play chess because i because i enjoy it so it will be i would i would look at such a title as more of a bonus than a definite goal i think
0: very nice i think that's a really really good mindset to have actually i, I admire that mindset a lot um because you know a lot of people who listen to chess podcasts in general are looking for the secret sauce to improvement but i always say you know First goal to improve a chess is to enjoy chess, right?
1: Yeah, definitely yeah.
0: agree. Now, very last question. Um, I guess just so that my audience learns a little bit more about you as a chess player. Um, if there was one opening you had to play for the rest of your life, um either either color, what what would it be?
1: Wow, that's uh, <laughs> that's a tough one.
0: Yeah. Um
1: i'm very glad, happy that i don't have to play the same opening every every game i do like to have a a bit of a variation um but i think maybe i will then if if i had to play play one then maybe the catalan because i find those positions pretty fascinating i play it with both colors and uh, yeah there are lots of different lines leading to different uh, type of Of positions with, uh, yeah, which uh, and uh, I feel that we never like managed to uh, reveal all the secrets that in that line. I mean, at one point I perhaps felt that uh, Kramnik and the likes had had found what everything they used to find, and then Dubov
0: suddenly unleashes h4 in a position where nobody has considered that before, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and it did feel like in the World Championship match that something had changed in terms of the Catalan now because it's really become on vogue again. I don't know if it's going to become like a Kramnik Berlin kind of thing, but uh, we are seeing a lot of Catalans at the top level of chess right now. And and I think you're on the money in that it does feel like the secrets of the Catalan are still uh, just beginning to be... Uh, revealed right now so uh and you know led by none other than magnus uh, of course probably through the help of daniel dubov in recent years but um yeah it, it, it's really cool it's very interesting that your answer because uh i know your your compatriot magnus carlson also doesn't like to uh stick to one opening too much um with the exception of maybe against fabiana caruana
1: yeah yeah and he has always uh, been like that i mean I, th- I think that's varies from player to player as well like some probably have to stick to one repertoire to and like to improve on on that. But Mangus has always been a player who who likes to, to play different um uh, different things. I used to be much more a repertoire player as well. Um, uh, but uh but then I I turned I found that I uh, yeah I got a bit bored by getting the same positions over and over and also a bit it's of course easier to prepare against someone who plays the same thing every time. And uh I find that as I yeah, as I get old as I got older and more experienced, I also find that I understand the different type of uh
0: oppositions better. So it's also easier to to switch to different openings. Yeah, I wish I could say the same, but that's uh, you know, I'm I'm sticking to my little uh I, I just have one one master uh lead chess study, which is my whole repertoire that nobody will ever see. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think versatility, it it really matters. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's the goal, right. To just be completely universal, play any structure, any color, uh, you know, with, uh, complete impunity and just, uh, you know, unleash the creativity that way. But, uh, that's something we all have to work towards. Um, but yeah, that's, that's all I had. Uh, you know, I'm uh, feeling a little under the weather. Um, but I, I, I really hope my listeners uh, enjoyed getting to know you. Obviously you've probably had a kind of crazy few days um Where where can my listeners find you? I know you're on Twitter. Your Twitter got revealed by uh by somebody. Uh, I think it was Tarjay also saying, "Oh hey, this guy has a Twitter," or something like that. And then you know your number of followers kind of exploded uh, out of nowhere. So um you know why do you want to share like uh you know where my listeners can find you if they want to you know stay up to date with your chess journey?
1: Yeah, Twitter is
0: the easiest way
1: to find me on social media uh, at least. So uh, my handle is uh, Geir Sune in uh, in one word that's the equal to my, to my first name, which is, um, yeah, I suppose you will write it somewhere because
0: it's very right. If you're not Norwegian, then, uh, it's, uh, you, it's impossible to spell, but, um, it's I'll have it in the, I'll have it in the description of the podcast uh, below. So go follow guy on, uh, on uh, Twitter. Uh, will you be tweeting more actively now? You know, now you have a, a loyal fan base now of people watching your every move, every composition, you know, you have, this is potential now to, uh, to join join this chess Twitter space, which has really kind of exploded actually in the last year. Um, I don't know if how often you're on Twitter, but worth checking out.
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I um, uh, yeah, it's it goes up up and down sometimes sometimes i I go weeks without really tweeting, except for just maybe retweeting some some stuff. but uh, but yeah, maybe I will be more active with more uh, uh, more followers. I've uh, de- definitely been more active the, the last days and uh, I just have to apologize to everyone I haven't replied to because for the first time in my life I
0: haven't had a chance to to keep up with all the all the messages I get Well, yeah, um Guyer, thanks so much for sharing your story. Uh, I I really hope my my listeners enjoy this because I I think this is just a really special uh really really amazing story uh you know, David versus Goliath in real life. Um it's very, very inspiring uh, stuff. Um, I want to thank uh, my Patreon Platinum uh, subscriber, Paul Harbright, for the donation. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to join Paul, uh, check me out, patreon.com slash 64podcast. Uh, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month, uh, so go check that out. The link is in the description. Uh, once again, thanks Aim Chest for sponsoring the podcast. You can use code DAVID30 to get 30% off your first month with Aimchest. The link is also in the description. Uh, follow me on Twitter at 64podcast. Uh, the usual, the usual. Um, thanks so much. I'm going to be drinking my, my cups of tea and uh, recuperating, but I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you guys next week. Uh, Guy, thanks so much. I uh, hope to have you back, maybe. Uh, and yeah, this is a, really a pleasure. Love the conversation.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be
0: here as well. So thanks for inviting me and uh, I wish you a speedy recovery from the. The virus. Yeah, uh, only I've I've been I've been fighting it for for a few days I think already actually so you know only a matter of time uh, you know I'm I'm double vaxxed, boosted all that so just need a little bit of bed rest uh, but the podcast never stops grind never stops you know how it is so thanks for listening and I'll see you guys soon.